for joining me today. I, I've been kind of following the Hidden Genius Project for, for a while now. I think a couple of years it came on my radar and I kind of saw it and I was like, man, this is really interesting sort of approach to whether it's education, whether it's turning boys into men for, for lack of a, a better term and really just looking at different approaches of how we can, you know, get to arm these kids with with tools and, and education at, at an early age to kind of go out and crush the world, right? And really make that impact for, for themselves in their lives, but also their community. So let's, before we get into the Hidden Genius Project, I really kind of want to go through your journey because you have a really interesting one, a, a lot of educational foundation in everything sort of you do. So kind of talk a little bit about your journey. When we look at the journey to get to the Hidden Genius Project, it took a number of people. I'm fortunate to be the founding executive director. And yet uh, we had some extremely enterprising founders mm -hmm. who led the way, including a couple of buddies of mine. But I'll start with my own journey and get us there. You know, I'm from Oakland, California. Grew up in public schools in Oakland uh, through middle school and then attended a uh, private high school in Marin County, which is one of the wealthiest counties mm. per capita in the United States, basically through a program called the A Better Chance Program that connects young people of color with the opportunity to pursue education at prep schools. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. had a great time. And yet, I think immediately learned that this was not an experience having a quality education and access to a wealth of resources was not an experience that should be the domain of just a certain set of people. There's nothing mm -hmm. more impressive about the young people I attended high school with that seemed to entitle them to greater opportunity than say the young people I attended middle school with. Right, right. right. And the only difference in determination of who was going to get what sort of access was their zip code. Mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. you know where they had the fortune of being born so right in there right in that transition I think was born my interest in commitment to issues of equity access and uh, policy among other things and I ended up you know, deciding well I think I want to pursue life and a mission that helps create access and really helps you know people who need more access do better and so I set out from high school thinking that I probably want to major in public policy with a focus on education. And that's eventually what I, I did in undergraduate um, and eventually would actually do a graduate degree in it as well. But, um, you know, for me, it's really just about finding some way to effectively democratize, you know, opportunity um, and, and just understanding how much brilliance there is in our communities. You know, I was fortunate to grow up as really like fourth generation college student, uh, which is pretty wild. Many Black families, just because, again, of the history, nature and history of access uh, in, in the United States. And yet, uh, you know, it's been engagement in access to education has been something that's been a homework. Um, my family, uh, the irony of that, though, is, you know, found myself navigating, you know, you call it almost karmic circumstances, you know, of uh, even being fourth generation, um, but not being particularly wealthy. And uh, mm -hmm. even by high school, you know, finding myself on public assistance and having extremely limited means uh, for much of that time. And it was probably one of the greatest benefits I could have received uh, just to have, I think, that level of perspective. Right. Um, on one end, certainly just being able to have an appreciation for what is possible and have certainly a certain level of support and investment and expectation. Uh, on the other level, understanding 
uh, certainly you cannot take anything for granted. Um, also that there are any number of factors that inform who we are um, and, and what our status is and, and what our uh, material situation is that go beyond just credential. Beyond that, though, just understanding, you know, humility too, that at any point in time along my journey, I wasn't more or less worthy, capable, you know, fundamentally uh, intelligent, nor was anyone I was growing up around. And so if that's the case for me, that's got to be the case for, you know, all of us, right? Um, and so, so I can understand that, you know, sometimes uh, you uh, can fly high and, and be doing all the great things and the right things in the institution. And sometimes you got to get it out the mud. Uh, but each of us has tremendous potential. So I want to I want to dive into a little bit of policy and maybe what you've learned over the years, whether it's, you know, through school, through your, your public work, through your your day to day sort of you know life journey and, and sort of what you dedicated your life to, what is what is the good and bad I guess about policy and and maybe what have you seen over the years that you know needs to be changed? Are there easy things that can be changed at a fundamental level that will make a big impact? I, I guess where are we at sort of with with policy nowadays in just the overall picture of of public education and maybe what can be changing what's maybe doing to to impact it to make it better certainly with time i get it perhaps sometimes more jaded but i, I like yeah. to think more more seasoned maybe um and, and just a, a certainly deeper perspective not necessarily better on these matters you know certainly when i was thinking about going into policy it was mm -hmm. all about you know there ought to be a law or there ought to be a rule and, and let's figure this out because you know clearly nobody else wants to um, <laughs> and I think in times and, and we see it obviously sometimes in our you know state capitals and our you know federal legislatures etc it can feel that way um, and probably rightfully so um, and that having been said I think one of the things I learned that was like the big level up for me where you know it's like okay now you're a grown-up you got to understand this is that of course policy is still very much politics I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, votes and campaigns. It, it can just be understanding who the stakeholders are, where the interests are, and that the greatest policy, the greatest set of practices, rules, and, and you know, conditions for a given area, you know, in, in the world can mean nothing if, uh, if people don't back it, if people don't implement it the way it's designed, if people mm. don't believe and, and are invested and especially in the climate we see today that seems like awful news mm -hmm. <laughs> right you're like you know you have to say we need greater investment greater you know consensus or you know harmony at least not necessarily consensus but engagement yeah. with mm -hmm. one another uh, it, it's tough um, seems impossible huh yeah for sure and and but the reality is it's not even just about you know kind of reaching across the aisle and things like that i, I remember uh when I was in grad school, I believe my third year, I did a fellowship with a program called Education Pioneers and uh, all about bringing leaders or potential leaders um, who are studying in dis different disciplines. So I was in a school of education studying policy. There are folks in schools of policy, uh, law school, business school, uh, you know, public administration, so on and so forth, but all who were interested in educational equity and in, in many ways, educational policy. So I had a placement at Oakland Unified School District where I was basically interning there for a summer in one of their, you know, policy offices. And right around then, just recently, within the last few years prior to that, been, you know, placed into a state receivership. So there'd been a state takeover of the district, mm, and especially huh. from the standpoint of its finances and, and policy decisions. And I started to, you know, 
wonder about how that happened and, and all that. But then as I'm getting to the district, I'm also starting to hear and see about who all is pouring money into the district. I mean, mm. especially at this particular time, this was, you know, the mid-aughts, uh, a lot of private money, a lot of, uh, you know, private foundations and or money tied to, you know, business and corporate leaders. You know, depending on who you are, that might sound nefarious or that might sound like a great thing. And for me, the reality was it didn't matter, right? It, right. it, it was just a reality that mm -hmm. I've been doing this calculus in my head about how do I get the votes and whose hand I'm going to shake. And, you know, <laughs> I envisioned myself, you know, taking some out to a power lunch and making a presentation. But I understand that this is an entire other, uh, you know, element, right? And this entire other uh, component of what it takes to make policy, make rules, et cetera. And then certainly um, in that same vein, uh, also some tremendous community organizations and grassroots organizations that are moving people in movement building and are advocating for change and, and things um, who also have a certain set of influence in and around schools and, and, and have something to say about what our experiences look like and then how things get done. And so you uh, realize, oh shoot, you have to understand like how they move as well if, if you want this to work. And so, you know, I think we come back though to your question about what's missing. Uh, the, one of the biggest challenges is, is just that you're really as a nation at kind of cross purposes with uh, kind of our history and where we're going when we look at the institution itself. Common schooling was not built for all young people to be in it and to pursue the same path, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you mm -hmm. start with, you know, you go back to the 19th century, Horace Mann and all the, you know, or even go back generations and, and generations of, of, you know, communities educating their young people themselves. They, these all, these look different, but they were intimate for specific purpose, mm -hmm. say a localized purpose within community. And then of course we see really the acceleration and advent of uh, more kind of common schooling at scale, uh, I think during wartime, right, right in the 20th century, especially by the time you get to, you know, World War II era, uh, trying to be able to, you know, mass produce common understanding around our civic values and identity around being able to follow a pathway into productivity, particularly to support the, the uh, you know, war effort, et cetera. Yeah. And so even before we dig into all the policy, it, it's even to understand and recognize and that this was not really a space meant for everyone to be like on a certain track, be that the college track, the yeah. happiness track, the creative mm -hmm. track, you know, wasn't yeah. built that way. Totally. Um, it was all about, you know, localized individual experiences. And so one of the greatest policy challenges we have is we're not even able to fully sit down with that at scale on a large scale and recognize, oh man, this thing wasn't built for this. Well, what do we do now? We've kind of keep right. chipping at it, tweaking at it. Sometimes we've kept people from it, you know, Just brown put band-aids on it. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about the, the Hidden Genius Project and I guess its mission, right? And, and maybe trying to fix some of these, these issues, whether it be from you know, what you guys do from just a program perspective or even working on, on policy, but what, what sort of is its, is its, at its fundamental level, its, its mission and its goals? I think it's probably best to tell maybe the origin story there a yeah, little bit. And for sure. Now I'll do my best to keep it tight, but <laughs> um, a couple of my buddies, Jason Young and Ty Moore had come out to Oakland and wanted to pursue their own careers in tech, building a business, building actually a really dynamic gaming company. Uh, that 
was teaching young people about financial capability skills mm. through mobile learning, experiential mm -hmm. learning, mobile gaming. And uh, uh, Jason's from Los Angeles area, Ty from Cincinnati. They attended Harvard together uh, and, you know, they're still okay guys, uh, you know, after. So, you know, they, they're all right. But uh, <laughs> I knew them from a scholarship program called the Ron Brown Scholar Program which was named for the late Secretary of Commerce from the Clinton administration, Ronald H. Brown. And once he passed away in 96, uh, they immediately, friends of his immediately established a scholarship in his name for students of African descent entering college uh, with the intent of building a dynamic network, Black young people who eventually would grow, I imagine, into older people, and um, but who are committed, you know, as part of a lifelong network for social change. And so they, you know, developed like a $40,000 unrestricted scholarship mm -hmm. to, you know, get you to come for the money, stay for the for the network <laughs> and the impact. And their tagline, their mantra is the value of one, the power of all. And, you know, also they're kind of sub- tag was scholars for life. And the reason why that's important is because then when you look up about 10 years later, after, you know, Jason was one class, I was the next class, Ty was the class mm. after me. But when Jason and Ty came out about 10 years after we first met to Oakland, they said, look, we're building this for-profit business, but, you know, we want to pay it forward. We see an opportunity in the community to do something to engage the young men we see. Um, and we want to, you know, be able to help them elevate their potential, certainly just with whatever skills and interests they have, but also just that leadership potential they have to be able to drive the change in their communities. And uh, we want to do it by way of like empowering them to be able to build technology and be entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they said, we're going to start this thing up and, you know, we're gonna, everybody's still working full time and doing all this, but we're going to try and make it happen right away you know it's called the uh, human capital initiative what do you think it's like well man i love everything you just said but the name that last piece you know i just said in my head and and thankfully as they uh, really um, picked up three additional founders kurt collins isaac hayes and kilimanjaro robs these three highly entrepreneurial and dynamic black men um in an entire village of folks out there who are willing to jump in, uh, they also managed to sit down and workshop the name. And here we are, mm -hmm. the Hidden Genius Project, you know, all about revealing potential in young people, especially our Black male youth, and, and just helping them see what's already there and giving them the tools. And, and what I would say is, uh, you know, uh, those guys started kind of building the infrastructure for being able to do the day-to-day. -day. Um, I was actually volunteering from the outset uh, some of my background on policy and assessments, mm. research evaluation. I was actually working in research and evaluation at the time. And so just helping to try and give some perspective on what making a solid infrastructure. But for the first two and a half years, the organization ran just very much grassroots, just all about the mission, all about creating these opportunities uh, without much knowledge and uh, probably with no business actually doing it. Um, and uh, yet uh, there's just a great commitment. And just when you think about how it started, one you know, of the first cohort we ever had, our mission is to train and mentor Black male youth in technology creation, entrepreneurship, and leadership skills to transform their lives and communities. And, you know, our core program is a what's now a 15-month intensive mm. cohort-based program for Black male youth in high school. Um, we spend about 800 hours with us. And these days it's been wow. virtually, uh, yeah. but, but, you know, uh, learning to build technology, learning about the fundamentals of business and entrepreneurship and how to drive that into their leadership work. So this, again, the first cohort we ever had in this regard was in 
2012, we had a group of five that we just pulled off the street. And I have no idea why their families were so mad at them that they, you know, made their sons and grandsons and young people, you know, come be with us when we had no idea what we're doing. It almost felt <laughs> negligent, right? But it was a fantastic group and, and a lot of heart there. But, you know, these guys were, you know, the whole idea was to set these guys up to be solid, you know, engineers. And, and so they were going to be programming, you know, eight hours a day. And so the goalposts kept mm. kind of moving. It was like, are we going to do like eight hours? We're going to do, you know, that first week. It was like, we're going to do all five days. We'll do Monday through Thursday. Then it's like, well, maybe we could do half days. And then basically within three weeks, it's like, oh no, this is not like a summer program. This is a multi-month, yeah. like almost you know, two-year whatever program. Yeah. Because there's so much going on in it. And I think guys kept like realizing bit by bit, like, oh, this isn't even about, you know, the skills and the, you know, like, this is all about development of a whole young person. Mm -hmm. whatever they might need and they all have different things going on or they're making different decisions and including a number which uh, with which who may not agree right but um <laughs> it was all about just you know getting getting these guys some exposure and getting their hands in the space so that they could build what they want so they could be go where they want to go and so it's never been about for example trying to create more pipelines into you know big tech companies that we know about it's never been a response to diversity numbers and Silicon Valley or anywhere else in the mm. world. Uh, it's all been about empowering our young people uh, for all the potential they have and making sure they know how to build the things their community needs and can't live without um, and then go from there. And, and they can still work at companies, including some of the big companies we know, but we can't make it about trying to get there some sort of farm system, especially when so mm. many of these companies haven't built the infrastructure to support them and advance them and, and empower them once they get there. Hey there. My name is Asa Goldstein, and I'm the founder of Brandshine Creative Services, a boutique branding agency that helps ingenious heroes save the world, one idea at a time. We work exclusively with impact startups like yours, empowering your success by building your unforgettable brand, your eye-catching visual identity, and your state-of-the-art website. To learn more about how we can help your startup compete against the mainstream brands that stand in your way, and to book your free brand audit, visit brandshinecreative.com. So is the is the organization embedded in in schools or is it like an app is that like an after school program, you know, yeah. that sort of the longer one or is there some that's embedded in in the school districts and then there's some after school like how does how does that work? Yeah, so, you know, the young people who want to participate in our intensive find out about us all sorts of ways uh, and from within their schools word of mouth word of mom as we say you know dad yep. grandpa auntie you know social media uh, a lot of great partners we have who do work with we've got this intensive that's our core program but over the years we've developed a number of you might say uh, companion programs um, including programs we're actually partnering with other community organizations to, to deliver mm -hmm. programming where they are or even mm -hmm. schools as well and so we're an out-of-school program for our core work and the most of what we do is absolutely out of school after school summer times very intense mm -hmm. but uh, we do have some great school partners and then we do have some schools where we've been actually to you know been able to work there sometimes after school but sometimes even during the school day where they've yeah. contracted with us to do work um and that's been cool uh we you know recently in the last year plus um you know expanded to los angeles and have been running now our second cohort uh, out of Los Angeles, even mm -hmm. as we're headquartered in Oakland. And we also have a site in Richmond, California. Um, but we've also been fortunate to start like building these relationships with schools and districts and around the areas where we are, including Los Angeles, and having the opportunity to actually work with actual school systems to right. uh, design and deliver uh, programming and opportunities to their young people. Um, so people are hearing like about that. us. 
you know, any number of ways. And we're trying to come at this thing from all angles. We're, we're doing any number of creative things. And our programming is taking us right around the corner, but as far away as London yeah. and Johannesburg, South Africa, right? So like we're... yeah. We're trying to get it in however we can. Well, that's what I wanted to ask next was, you know, obviously the, the pandemic has made everything virtual, right? So has that enabled the the mission and the, the sort of curriculum to expand further? Or has mm-hmm. that, has it been, you know, detrimental because me being in class with, you know, with your fellow sort of cohort is like a powerful thing, right? To physically be there with them and, and like work at it together seems to have some real positive energy behind it versus everything online but how has that that sort of obviously very very drastic quick change has that been you know benefit beneficial in some areas has it been hurtful has it been helpful yeah you know i I think the answer is yes right you know to all of the above (laughs) um extremely proud of our team and and also our young people been extremely resilient and and we entered into quarantine here in california Mm. march 16th and by march 16th that was our first day we held a virtual meeting you know we basically were literally in the office on march 13th on that friday right um, right and and planning to do any number of activities even that weekend um and had to you know cancel them and uh rich showed up you know to do you know a group video conference on the 16th and chart a path forward and and by the 18th we were you know programming um (laughs) virtually never looked back you know came up with a plan uh one of the key ingredients was actually and I left that out as I was talking about our other components we design in our partnership. When we're not doing our intensive, uh, the majority of the programming we deliver is actually facilitated by alumni of our program, mm. by young people, young That's youth cool. leaders yeah. that we train as youth facilitators, call them youth educators. So our contract work, our events, you know, we, we're always supporting and, and working there, but, you know, it's just trying to maximize our effectiveness, extend our bandwidth, create, you know, near peer networks and cascading mentoring opportunities, really try and empower these young guys and they get paid. You know, they, they yeah. work, especially in the state of California with some of the labor laws, they're basically part-time employees for us, right? So <laughs> yeah. um, one of the key ingredients was basically hiring those guys in mass um, yeah. to try and get back to programs who could create smaller learning environments to get more help and more perspective, more hands on deck. So they jump into a Zoom with us. So if we're going to have 20 guys mm-hmm. in a Zoom, we're going to have three, four alumni or more, you know, in there with us and doing breakouts and trying to be in smaller learning environments and figure this thing out. So it's been a lot of that for the last year and a half. You know, we, our intensive hasn't met in person. We had a, a couple partners who've met in person where we've done some of that programming in person and, uh, you know, with, you know, mixed uh, outcomes in terms of great, you know, engagement educationally. But, you know, one of the sites we went to, you know, ended up having a, a few cases a, you know, COVID-19 sure. cases had to shut down. And so everybody's trying to figure this out. Um, but, you know, we've been hanging tough. We tried some new things and have been able to, you know, collaborate with a partner that's, for example, based in London. Um, and, and that relationship grew from the last, you know, couple of years prior, <clears throat> 2018, 2019, when we were traveling to London and doing programming there. And so being able to like engage with Easton Keller, yeah. you know, 6,000 miles away is <laughs> tremendous. And then, uh, events we did just to like inspire young people from different networks around the world that we've connected with and inspire them around different pathways and related to technology but related to areas of interest that they might already have like fashion sports you know Mm. business emerging technology entertainment and just seeing how you know tech ties in and having these dynamic uh, guests come in and talk about their experiences 
And and that that was amazing being able to do that and know that at any point in time uh, there might be someone from South Africa, Europe, or Hawaii just tapping in. So that's been a great opportunity. The flip side, those of course, just for our intensive work, just mm-hmm. you know, really tough to keep doing this, you know, for a year and a half. And there's so many young people who are battling so much already. So then being right. in this environment was tough for them, just isolating. Uh, sometimes you know, just depressing or, or you know, disengaging. Yeah. The and, program uh, could be an escape for them originally. Oh, absolutely. You know? And you yeah. know, we're doing anything from feeding them to just hanging out, laughing. You know, sometimes yeah. even you know, shooting a basket or two or whatever it is. But you know, all of that goes out the window. It's just the stuff. And then just something mm-hmm. as simple as like, what's it mean to even take attendance in this area, right? So it's like, well, Grant signed on. Have you seen Grant? I mean, because mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, yeah. if Grant came to the spot, you know, you're here. Like, we're gonna see you trying to like creep by the doors. We'll be right yeah. by the doors and you're going to be here for the next two hours you know you sign on the zoom we're like it's great to see you grant you're like yeah all right and then 19 minutes later it's like anybody seen grant you know you just <laughs> kind of slip away um either with uh you know just a click in the x right on your window or you know your wi-fi goes down or uncle asked you uh, to take out the trash you know it could be all this sort of stuff happening and it's just been wild that way and so we had to really i think steal ourselves for you know a different type of environment and try and be adaptive and then give ourselves a lot of grace and forgiveness and, and, and really celebrate that we're working extra hard to try and provide these opportunities with the with the intensive program like what what does that look like? Is that is it training people how to make mobile games? Like literally it, learn it JavaScript yeah. from the ground up, like that learn too. Xcode, yeah. like take that, it, that as well. What, what, Absolutely. What would what, what, they go in, you know, probably pretty bare, not knowing too much, right? And then yeah, they come and it's out across of it. the board. Yeah, it's okay. across words, a range, both. But you, yeah, everything you named is, is a thing. Uh, we, uh, you know, we're getting young people from any number of backgrounds, and and you know, you're getting young people who kind of fit any number of uh, stories and you know archetypes. You know, so you know, a lot of people are saying, well, of course, you're just doing this just for like the low income, right? Everybody else is gonna make it. I'm like, well, somebody forgot to tell me that. You know, what I'm saying <laughs> just because, like, just, you know, based on whatever experience I got, I, and I'm very fortunate. Yeah. I've gotten where I am because people will say, well, look at you. I'm like, well, I could point to any number of people, even with my profile, I've had extremely tough time along the way, especially if you're talking about up to 18, yeah. um, regardless of what their grades were and all that. Um, that's to say nothing of, again, we started off talking about, you know, access and all that. And again, it's just not equal access, even if you have some means and there's different structural and experiences, yeah. you know, racism is still a thing. And it's not something you need to, we need to like debate or bandy about. It's just you know, is a thing as are any number of isms, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is create a safe space and a solid network of young people to come together from their backgrounds, lean on each other and have a better chance at a more meaningful and fulfilling life experience. And so, you know, tech is one way to get there. We have guys who've never done anything before um, and, and then tried and love it. We have guys who've done it a bunch <laughs> and, and really don't like it at all. Uh, but uh, we been able to evolve over time and establish different tracks the first alternative track we established was our business track yeah so you know allowing guys to build out businesses and business ideas more intensively and holistically and even lean on some of their peers and their brothers to be able to help them you know in some instances prototype what their business might look like, but allow them to really anchor in their passion. And then to your point, you know, there's some folks who love gaming and would rather not build, you know, some sort of website or interactive such and such, you know, that's not about gaming or some people want to learn about machine learning or some people rather build via web and not via, you know, mobile. Um, So we had been doing a lot of work 
uh, and like Xcode yep. and all that, but we've been able to diversify over time, which we're really proud of. Probably leaned a little bit away from Xcode of late uh, because we started digging more into Flutter and being yep. able to do cross-platform development yep. um, for mobile. But then you have- Well, that's the thing. It, all, it changes yeah. every three to five oh, years. Absolutely. New, new absolutely. programs come out that are a little better and like- Absolutely, you just, absolutely. You learn you that, but the foundations are the always thing. there though. If you got the yeah. foundations there, you can kind of- move and that's to different want to platforms and programs yeah that's what we want to impart too is you're learning a skill like you might be working on a project that you don't love or have an assignment that doesn't feel like you mm -hmm. but the name of the game is figuring out how that applies to all the things you are interested in so we really have to anchor there and start with what people love and try and connect them with that and and then go from there so it's been quite a run to this point be able to just even understand how to engage with young people and every day we're learning you know every day honestly we have like these what feel like losses in the moment like like <laughs> we did not get that right that's okay you know we have to it's all right we, yeah. we have to keep learning and, and, and humble ourselves one of our you know senior team members yesterday shared a message he'd gotten from a genius he woke up to with this guy team members on his vacation not supposed to be emailing us at all but i guess he got like a slack from one of our geniuses who'd been in that description one of the guys who for the last year and a half he's been a guy you described as like now nah, he's behind on this work he's not doing mm -hmm. that he mm -hmm. can't get him to turn his camera on this that, and the other but he's been going through a ton and within the last like month to two months you know, it finally led on that, like he was really going through it and actually seeking counseling and therapy and wanted help to be able to access that, you know, and, and his family could only afford but so much, maybe, you know, 20% tw uh, or so sure. of what sessions cost. And so, you know, they submitted for like a emergency grant, uh, emergency support request. So we basically agreed to like pay the, the difference. Wow. So he could wow. get that help. And that maybe it was because he heard that or maybe it was completely unrelated, but shortly thereafter like a day or two after this young person like messages to this team member who's out on vacation like hey man i can't thank you all enough you guys have really changed my life and that, mind you like just weeks ago we we're talking about how you know <laughs> this guy's yeah. not doing his stuff but but we're still hanging in there with them right they you know they we don't view them or judge their worth as a function of you know how happy they're making us or how many assignments right. they're doing and i think that's really the lasting impact of what we're able to do so there is all the like the curricular stuff and you know, how to do, you know, design thinking, rapid prototyping and, mm -hmm. and how to build out your idea and do market research, understanding the history of, uh, you know, certain social movements or uh, identity and, and especially, you know, black identity and social constructs and how all these things tie into who we want to be and how to be, you know, socially responsible entrepreneurs or professionals or human beings. And all that is tremendous. But at the end of the day, it's just a day to day struggle and battle to just uh, fight for the, the humanity and yeah, the wellness man. of these young people. Hello, friends. This is Paul Shapiro, author of the book Clean Meat, CEO of The Better Meat Co., and host of the Business for Good podcast. You know, lots of people are excited about the potential of plant-based meat to address key sustainability concerns associated with raising animals for food. But those of us in the alternative protein sector can't maximize our impact if we're not presenting our message to customers in the most effective way. That's why I was so glad that my own startup, The Better Meat Co., worked with Brandshine Creative to help us better understand the needs of our own key customer demographic, to create a branding identity guide to keep our appearance consistent, and to overhaul our website to make it, frankly, a lot more useful. Working with Brandshine was a helpful experience for us that's made our company better at doing what's most important to us, building a more sustainable protein supply chain. It's amazing, man. I got two, two more questions. One, one is around schools and kind of working with school districts 
how has that been? Has it been difficult? Like, is there policies in place where they, it has to go through a bunch of different yeses to get a third party, like not outside nonprofit to come in, set right, up some right. curriculum. Cause it, this seems like the hybrid model that could really work. You kind of get, you know, your, your morning classes, your history, your, your math, your science, like the core sort of, you know, STEM, if you will. But then, you know, second half of the day is curriculum that you guys build out, right? Or right, equivalent right. sort of where you actually get to learn life skills, right? It's so that that's always been, you know, my issue coming out of, of high school, you know, I did, I went to both private and public. So I saw the differences in, in, in certain things, but I came out really like not with many like core like skill sets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you got friends and you got your network, right? But that doesn't really necessarily like actually like help you like move forward in life if you don't really have many skills, like actual hard skills. And so I think learning that at such an early age, bringing in professionals that know what they're doing, right? Like mm -hmm. have curriculum set up, know what platforms and programs that will really benefit them in the long term or certain skill sets around business or, or whatever it may be. How unimaginable is that, that they're that schools can come more around to like implementing different curriculum within mm -hmm. within public schools, right? Because like that, it seems like we need stuff to change around, like yeah. kids having fun and wanting <clears throat> to learn stuff in school, like if they're there. No, I feel you. Well, yeah, and, and we need to make sure we don't lose your point that you just made, which is you know we've got actually some gaps in schooling. Period. Yeah. Um, what what the Febreze for all that, and and sorry, I'm, I'm sure they're not a sponsor, but the you know we'll call it the the wallpaper or the you know the the odor odor you know uh, yeah yeah uh, uh, repellent what what have you for that is uh, the the landing spot right so we keep saying well if our children our community are landing in college or they still get quote unquote great jobs or high paying jobs like you know we're just gonna keep running this thing but the reality is guy at my school. I remember he ran for a student government we, the year I ran, and, uh, uh, you know, he was extremely, like, passionate as a high school junior at the time about scripts. And he was from um, uh, Marin County, you know, from fairly, fairly solid, wealthy background. Um, and scripts was like a program where you could, like, uh, take funds from, like, going shopping and pay almost with, like, gift certificates where some of the money goes back to the school. Mm. And he was, like, highly practical, like, 16 17 year old guy but he was talking about like scripts and like uh like experiential education for like life skills with it like his yeah. two platforms he lost he <laughs> lost by a lot right he was, he was ahead of his time right but it was a beautiful i loved it too and i'm like oh this guy's dope like you're, like, you're running mean, against him you're like i'll vote for him <laughs> i mean i mean you know straight up like i was like i was like i i love what he's saying he's not gonna win but i love what he say it's dope but uh, you know we ended up actually serving on the board of that same school years later it always stuck with me because we talked about the experiential part he's like you know you leave this school that's now costs like fifty two thousand dollars a year to go to right Crazy. and you leave not knowing how to change a tire how to do your mm. taxes how to yeah um, right it's, do it's all these things you know yeah. these life things yeah even, even in some instances you know uh you know balance the budget you know yep. uh, cook yep. even right so what's happening with education right that sometimes we're, we keep talking about like public education and we got to get people caught up and people are falling behind but in reality like to your point by and large do we put 
pressure on schooling, uh, you know, as we like design schooling to do as much as it can, as you know, as we can do, do we trust that we can get to some of the other outcomes by focusing on and just on a richer experience? And uh, it seems like right now the, the answer has been no. So when you then you look at public schools, there's a range there too, right? You know, I live in Oakland, but Oakland within it has a town with its own city hall and water district called Piedmont, where it has, mm -hmm. you know, extremely high resource public schools. Now in California, the way that works is there's actually a cap on how much you can fund a public school just for off your property taxes. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a low floor and a high ceiling, really, uh, in many ways. But what wealthy communities uh, do is, you know, I, I call them thermometer towns, because you'll see those wealthy towns, they'll have like at the town library, city hall, or whatever it is, you'll see like a thermometer where they're doing their own private fundraising, kicking in that money up to some percentage of what it would right. cost to go to a private school anyway. And that's how you get a well-resourced public school that's able to like sure. deliver all these things. And even sure. then, they're just delivering the same stuff that the next school is. They just have more money to do it. Like, they're not necessarily innovating. What right. I will say right. is, then oftentimes, then our public schools with either lower-income students and or young people of color, Black, you know, Latinx, Indigenous, Southeast Asian, Pacific Islander, et cetera, students, they often then get to be the laboratory schools, you know, where it's like, well, we're just going to try a bunch of stuff here. Because like, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen, you know? Um, and, and so that's kind of worked to our benefit and to, you know, the detriment, right? Like we've had, we had a school that was like, hey, we're, we're going to be able to like do this academy for black boys, a certain subset of black boys in this high school will stay with their grade level and with black boys and just have classes, the core classes and the other classes just with this black boy cohort every mm. day, uh, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. And would you like to deliver, you know, computer science and entrepreneurship classes um, on some alternating schedule, like during the day? And that was mm. amazing with the uh, African-American Mill Achievement Program, part of what's now Kingmakers of Oakland. But then like there's a budget crisis in Oakland and that was one of the first things to get cut. Um, but, you know, it was- Should be the last things to different. get cut. It well, you know, it's, it, was, it was a tough situation, right? We were just several million dollars in the hole um, and each school had to just do really hard stuff, you know, and, and, I, and I get it. But, you know, we're fortunate to be able to do that and at least try something different, try to create something experiential and have, have young people imagine kind of who they want to be and how to integrate things like computer science and entrepreneurship into their history class. I thought that was a really cool Shit, approach. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, so there amazing. are moments in which like, you know, it feels like we're going up against the bureaucracy and we're completing forms and triplicate and having to print them out, you right. know, but by and large, I'd say we've come across a lot of innovative, passionate people in the space uh, who are trying to make an impact and willing to try new things. And nobody's really innovating that much. Like even when you, somebody says, I want to start a school and you say, well, let's close our eyes and imagine. <laughs> what that school is going to look like like what are you going to do and they're like well i'm going to need desks and you're like oh, okay what else they're like i mean like a, a chalkboard or, or a whiteboard no it's going to be a projector so it's not going to be like what well, where is it what's at the front of the class well you know where what are you going to have in there you're going to have like adults or teachers or what like you know probably uh, the teacher or where are they going to stand you know probably in front of the class it was like well it sounds a lot like you know it's such a deeply rooted and seated institution like we can't totally you can't imagine, imagine something out of that totally. right yeah like, it, even yeah. and that's at the world's like phillips exeter you know right that's that what you name your public school and whatever right. area that has no money and, and and everybody you know it's they're doing the same stuff right and it's yeah um it's tough to to move beyond that at Brandshine, our comprehensive brand strategy process ensures that your impact brand is strategically positioned and can put its best foot forward to both investors and potential clients. Then, we work with world-class designers to craft your new logo and your unique visual flair. But we don't stop there. 
We write, design, and develop your new website in Webflow, a cutting-edge platform that delivers incredible websites that are easy to maintain without our help. To download the free seven-step guide to building a market-ready impact brand, visit brandshinecreative.com slash causeartist. Yeah, so my, my last question, man, would, would really just be about the future and maybe what is the sort of dreams and, and sort of goals that, you know, you guys want to see within the organization? And I know it's kind of, you know, with COVID, things change drastically, right? So different things that have to get adjusted and maybe curriculum or programs might have to change and all this different stuff. But, you know, as it stands today, if you look sort of, you know, three to five years down the road, what is success for you? You know, is it is it more boys going to, to college? Is that it is? Or is it yeah. is it more people, you know, just getting certain skills and, and starting their own companies, right? I know you have a, they just started the venture fund, I think, a small venture fund is sort of fun some of the yep. alumni. I thought that was amazing. Yep, yep. It seems like these are the things that you're kind of innovating within the organization, looking at ways to keep improving, you know, and being in students' lives, right, throughout the history of of, of their life and what they want to do, right? Not just, Absolutely. you know, a teenage years, but if they want to start a company, well, hey, let's, let's put a fund together and, and we can help you do that as well. So that you've got the skill sets now and you went through the training and stuff like that. So I guess long and that's question that connected is, to the Ron Brown Scholar Program, by the way, that Scholar for oh, Life, really? so Genius for Life. Like that's what it was all about is keeping folks close, that lifelong network for, mm-hmm. for social change. Totally. That's why I mentioned it. So yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's great, man. So uh, yeah. So just just end on we'll just end on like that. Like what are some of the, what are the goals, man, and success yeah. that you'd like to see? You know, it's all about trying to have the happiest and, and most empowered and hope most hopeful young people we can. And for us, you know, organizationally, uh, being able to create a lot of access to opportunities and a lot of hope um, and clear out space for young people to like basically do their thing, you know, to to get out there and cut. You know, that we've got such capable young men. We look at like the work we're doing where our boys and young men, our youth leaders are facilitating that programming. You see like right in your face, the potential, like these are Mm. the same guys driving you effing nuts. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, but I love all of them, right? But it's like, man, but you watch them evolve into like these incredible leaders and and, and just all the stuff we're talking about and all the times they're like half asleep or arguing about stuff or doing something else. And then they kick it back to some other young person, right? Or, Mm. you know, kick it forward if you were you're like oh you actually heard that or you you yeah. got that or whatever like just there's something about that right it's like so deeply uh, fulfilling empowering and there's a lot of incredible people across the board educators grassroots organizations for-profit ceos um, public officials everything in between there's mm-hmm. a lot of great people out here doing yeah. great work it really is you know we, we magnify messages and narratives about the bad stuff because that bad stuff can hurt and and also it's sometimes just more interesting to talk about yeah. i guess on yeah. a given day but there's a lot of tremendous stuff happening in the world um and we want to be in a position to help do more of it um, and help collaborate with some of those great people to get more access to more young people, especially our black boys and young men. But, you know, when they win, we, we're seeing everybody wins, you know, when mm-hmm. they're out here teaching, you know, this group of, you know, Southeast Asian girls in this program we partner with, like, you know, Crazy. like that's not happening, but not for, right. Our investment in these black boys, right. Like it's, it's cascading down. It's, it's rippling out. However we want to say it, you know, we're not here to chart their path. Some of them uh, want to do things or don't even know what they want to do. You know, we talk right. about you know, what was it like to like counsel some of the world's greatest innovators, you know, who ended up creating, you know, some of the stuff we've seen for the first time. And I'm, I'm not going to give folks free advertising this time, but as people in their mind's eye, imagine, you know, some invention, right. Or some technology or some site that they're like, man, like, and they, and we always like bandy about the like legend story about how they, you know, 
pull themselves up by their bootstraps were self-taught and, and this and then and, and, and somehow that like six to seven figure friends and family raise they did within their networks had nothing to do with their success but you know whatever it's fine I'll buy it I'll buy it but just the whole idea of like imagine if we were like telling those folks like no be an insurance adjuster you know it's it's stable you know so we have to like really watch how we talk and manage the dreams of our young people we talk a lot about this with respect to young people uh, who are interested in sports right and you know it's it's definitely like a personal pet peeve of mine i wrote my dissertation actually about youth sports and 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 privatization and all these things yeah i saw that man but that was cool oh well thank you thank you but but you know we uh so often you know we understand why you say hey man like uh can help but notice that you're really into like the sports thing and just know it's not that likely you should find a backup and um you know when i was in high school you know that school in marin like nobody was talking like that Mm -hmm. and the reason why was because nobody's getting their dreams killed that way now there's an understanding eventually like people are coming to terms with this like listen you know billy you're uh you're, you're peaking here, you know, like you're, you're topping <laughs> yeah. out at five, five, eight, five, nine in a, in a sport that's generally, you know, bringing folks in that are six, six to <laughs> six, nine, and, and you're a little slower. And honestly, you're not even, you know, hitting the ball or making the shots or running as fast. As, but maybe you should but, be an agent. Maybe you hello, that's what it is. No, that right? 100%. Nobody's saying, maybe be a broadcaster. Right. right. No, yeah, that, yeah. That's what it is. That's what you hear. Like, I never heard anybody be like, so now it's time to be an insurance adjuster because that's, that's stable. Right. It's like, no, mm-hmm. I, you're impeding my like passion, my dreams when there's on any given night that the Warriors play, there's at minimum a thousand people getting paid really great money. Right. Thousand to, percent. to support 100%. that we're not on the court. Right. Yep. Um, and, yep. and so it's like, what can you do that you love that can help you become like a better athlete, a better person, but keep you close to the game. And then the day that the game makes you it's not great, be able to play point. anymore, you know, what, what do you have for that? And, and it's the same with, you know, innovation of the things we've, you're yet to do. You know, it's like, how do we support, you know, our young people to be able to just keep digging into what they love, what they're interested in and, and still have expectations, still have boundaries, still have practices and rules but like also just give them some room to cook, you know, because, you know, mm-hmm. these self-made, you know, friends and family around, you know, you know, guys are, 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 are you know, can't we all Dude, just be like them anyway? You got to give that, us some opportunities. That so, is yeah. so funny. Like it, I hear that all the time. I was like, you do realize that like those family and friends like don't exist for 99% of the people on planet earth. Right. Like it's, it's not a thing. And it's such a, there should be the venture fund should be called like friends and family fund or something to like make a joke about how ridiculous that is because it's just, it's, it really is like such a, such a privilege to, to have that, you know, to just go to your family and friends and they can just raise a half a million dollars like that doesn't exist right. in the real world <laughs> so that so itself is such a gap right? right between but now it's like can the hidden genius project be that gap can other right. organizations or or other uh you know companies find a way to fill that gap when somebody has an idea yeah. their family and friends might not actually be their family you know their friends yeah, but it's right. the people that they built relationships with that they can go to you yeah, know like and, and one of the things we're looking at we hope it's each other over time right absolutely man 
yeah. the biggest things. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I was thinking about this a lot, even just yesterday, but just, you think about just generationally, you know, the, obviously there's so much talk right now about learning about the history of the United States uh, or the world. And, and unfortunately, a lot of it's been labeled even as critical race theory, which actually is a very fascinating discipline, has a lot of value. But most of the things that people are actually arguing against, like being taught, aren't critical race theory at all. But then when we don't know the history, we don't even understand, you know, have a great grasp on why people are advocating for what they are or what, you know, the gaps and needs truly are. I've heard extremely, you know, supposedly, you know, well-meaning people say, listen, like, I understand that we've got, you know, more work to do in this country, in this world, but things are better than they were before, which they are. hundred percent. My grandmother told me that, right? She mm. sat me down one day, like, listen, I grew up in Tampa, you know, she's 90, you know, what, uh, three years old now, you know, I grew up in Tampa going to the movies through a different door than, mm everybody else in Tampa, right? Like sitting in a different level at that mm. movie because I had to. Yeah. And we understood that if you did not, you know, that was not a, uh, that was not going to be a great thing for your family, right? And she's like, looking at me like, seriously, like, do you understand? So I'm like, okay, I get it. But but also when you think about what does it mean? And as you talk to folks, you know, populations of folks, and they can be black populations, but you can talk about this across the board. But, you know, you have more stories even than we, realize about when you understand like what the great migration is say great migration out of the south to the northeast to the midwest mm -hmm. the great migration or second great migration even west from the midwest and, and the south you know to places like oakland la and the whole mm -hmm. nine like you know it sounds so cozy you know like we're you know we're, it's a great migration we're taking vacation you know a lot of people over those years were basically like in trouble for either talking shit or not wanting to like take it from the community they were in people there people who are terrorizing them. This might've been government, so on and so forth. And a lot of them were like in very clear danger and had to just oh, drop yeah, everything man. and it's, leave. If yeah. we don't share them, then we start saying, well, I'm not, well, I don't see a slave right now. I don't have a slave or whatever, but mm. it, how does it relate? It goes back to this friends and family round. So if you have family and, and like, if you start talking to enough people, especially like black people in this country, you start talking to like, somebody has some family who like had to get up out of somewhere quick. You know, like uh, multiple family members, it, it, the friends I know had to like get up out of like parts of Mississippi or like mm -hmm. <clears throat> Northern Florida or whatever fast, right? And like, so what happens when you have to do that? I'm talking about fast. I'm not talking about like, you know, I just asked for a transfer. I just requested a transfer at my job. I'm talking about like, you know, I'm tired of being like leaned on. I said, I told somebody to kiss my ass. And now yeah, like, we got to get go. out. Yeah, you got to right? go. Yeah, <clears throat> and so yeah, what right, that means right, is right. whatever you had built, whatever totally. you had, you might even own some shit. You don't own it anymore. You left, mm. right? Like, like, so like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, a lost generation. It's a lost right? generation of wealth. Okay. Right? So you come back to that friends and family raised idea, right? Like totally. it didn't mean yeah. even that people didn't know what they were doing. Like, you know, talking about like my dad was telling me about his grandfather leaving electric mills mississippi they were well established there but it just got too hot mm. in east mississippi at that time I mean, they were, so they had to get up out right like mississippi was solid but they had to get up out of there and like everything he had been building stayed there so then you got to start over mm. and you know uh geary and dan it right and all this yeah. stuff like mm -hmm. So there's generations of that. And people are like, well, it's not my fault. Oh, okay. It's not about whose fault it is. You're understanding like the bootstraps were already there, but the bootstraps got left right. in an right. unlocked house because you're fleeing. And then you, what do you do? You might have to change. You might have to like mm. alter some things about what you're doing. So people can't mm. find you because you piss them off and it was legal for you to possibly disappear. Right. Like, so right, right. like, what does that do? What capacity have you built? And I'm not talking about 1790. I'm not talking about 1890. Right. <clears throat> In 1990, some of the people who are experiencing yeah. this removed are like 30 years old at that time, 15 years old, you know, in 1990. Right. Meaning mm -hmm. like 
this stuff, right? I was born before 1990. So mm -hmm. it's not all ancient history. And it's so important that we just at least learn and talk about it um, and then understand. So when we're having conversations around like, why would a program create the friends and family around for someone's like, because of all this stuff, it's not just because you have this hapless group that can't get right. Or, mm -hmm. you know, this destitute group, there's some real wild stuff that's gone on and been going on, you know, in our communities, in our country, et cetera. And we had to talk through and sort some of this stuff out and figure out who we want to be. 